So turn to John 11, verse 35 with me. Um, John eleven thirty-five is the shortest verse in the Bible. Although having said that, back, uh, back a thousand years ago, they didn't have verses, they didn't have chapter breaks like we do, but I think still that it's probably the shortest verse in the Bible. So anyway... Looking at it in verse 35, it says, Jesus wept. Now, this is, was when Lazarus had died. And I've talked about this before, but I wanted to do a study just on this particular subject. And uh, look what verse 36 says. It says, so the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. And so apparently a lot of the Jews that were there who were witnesses, you know, felt like Jesus was weeping over Lazarus because of his love for him. And essentially what I want to do is I want to read the whole chapter and I want to look at it in context and see if that's the reason why Jesus was was crying, why, why that's the reason why Jesus was weeping over him. Now, obviously, Jesus was very compassionate. We know that. And we know that God is compassionate and he He's with us in our troubles and our trials and our tribulations and that he loves us and he stores all of our tears in a bottle and, and things of that nature. And, and so God is love, right? And, and God is emotional. God is caring. God is with us in our situations. He, he, I don't believe in a God who created the world um, before the beginning of the foundation of the world, before God ever created everything, he planned out and he mapped out every one of our lives and said, okay, this is exactly what you're going to be doing at 6.05 on a Tuesday afternoon in June. Um, I don't believe that we're puppets. I don't believe that our lives are following some meticulous script that's been written out for us. Rather, I believe that God is with us in time, in space. When we're going through a tough situation, we're going through hard times, whenever we're in a, uh, a problem that's too big for us, He is there with us in the midst of that situation. And all, we, and all, all He wants from us is to reach out to Him in that moment. And, and to find, go to him for comfort, not to go to drugs, not to go to alcohol, not to go to sex, not to go to all the things that we use to numb ourselves. It, entertainment, you know, there's a, there's a multitude of things that we use to numb ourselves. So anyway, starting in verse 1, it says, Now Lazarus was a, uh, now, sorry. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Look at this in verse 2. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So um, in Luke, uh, Luke 7, verse 36 through 50, it talks about how the woman anointed Jesus' feet with her hair and, and you know, the, uh, the jar of perfume that she broke over his feet and things like that. And so this is someone that was very intimate with Jesus. It's someone that Jesus loved, right? Okay. Um, it's not just someone that he doesn't know or anything like that. He's, and we're going to, as we continue to read the story, we're going to see that he was intimate with this family. Um, so verse two, again, it was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. 
So the sister sent word to him saying, Lord, behold, listen to this. He whom you love is sick. So now we know Jesus loves everyone, right? But Jesus had an inner circle also. And we've talked about this before. And, uh, and John talks about John, the disciple talks about himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. So there were people that were close to Jesus' heart, and this family was was some of those people. It says, look at this in verse 4. It says, um, well, let's just go back to verse 3 again. So the sister sent word to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, listen to this. He says, this sickness is not to end in death before the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified by it. Okay. So let's stop right there. So Mary sends, um, Mary sends word to Jesus and says, Lord, behold, Lazarus is sick. What does Jesus say? He says, when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not to end in death before the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by that. So Jesus, right here from the very beginning, you see that Jesus knows what's going on, and he knows that God is doing something in this particular circumstance, in this situation, and he knows exactly what the Father is doing. And, and, uh, and so this, we're going to see how Jesus reacts to it. It says, now Jesus, look at this in verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, look at this. He then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. You see that? Now, all this doesn't make sense, but as we get into the, uh, as we get into the chapter, I think that it's going to become more and more clear to us. But so Jesus, in verse 4, he says, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Verse 6, it says, So then when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So Jesus is purposely, purposely not rushing to Bethany. He's purposely not going to where Lazarus is at, even though he knows that he's sick. Now, if you're trying to understand the mind of Jesus, you see that something's going on with him that he knows about that no one else knows about. Continuing on in verse 7, it says, Then after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again. So the last time they were in Judea, they, the Jews tried to stone him to death. And Jesus answered, are there, are there not twelve hours in the day? Look what he says to his disciples. He says, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. So, so Jesus says, let's go to Judea. His disciples said, the Jews were trying to kill you when we were there. Are you, are you sure that you want to do that? What is Jesus' re reply? If anyone's walking in 
in the in the light he won't stumble but if anyone's walking in darkness he will stumble because the light is not in him what is he saying to his disciples he's saying that right now in this particular instance you are walking in darkness you don't understand what i'm doing you don't you're not walking in the light you're you're listening to the your own mind you're you're not listening to the spirit of god verse 11 this he said, and after that he said to them, look what he says to his disciples, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. So again, the, the story, the picture that's being painted is that Jesus understands what's going on, and he's trying to teach a lesson to his disciples. But his disciples are not getting it. His disciples are not understanding what he's saying. And he's telling, he's trying to, he's trying to say that in a subtle way. Look, you, you guys are in darkness. You don't understand what's going on here. But instead of them stopping what they're doing, and this is so much like us, right? Sometimes God's trying to get our attention and he's trying to do something in our lives but we're so busy trying to solve the problem we're so busy trying to rush and and fix things in our own strength and in our own abilities and things like that that we don't stop we don't slow down to listen to what the spirit of the lord is trying to say to us all right he says now jesus had spoken in verse 13 of his death but they thought that the they thought that his disciples thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. So, so I mean, look at this. Try to put yourself in this situation. Jesus is trying to teach them, but they're not getting it, right? So, if you're trying to teach somebody, you're trying to show them something, you're trying to, trying to open their eyes and they're not getting it, you might get a little frustrated, right? And there's many times in the New Testament when Jesus got frustrated with his disciples, because they weren't understanding because they tried to cast the demons out of the boy and it wouldn't go and stuff and he he's like oh believe unbelieving and perverse generation how long do i have to put up with you now if you again if you watch some jesus movie he's going to be smiling when he says that and he's going to say it in such a gentle and and non-confrontive way but jesus is starting to his patience is starting to wear thin because he's trying to teach them and they're not allowing him to teach them they're not grasping what he's saying he's saying these cryptic things and just in the same way that he taught parables to to the masses he taught cryptic thing to the masses for the purpose of them saying, what are you trying to say to us? But they wouldn't do that. They would keep on with their own opinions. They would keep up with their own mindsets, their own paradigms and say, well, you know, we're not going to come to him to have him explain this to us. We're just going to go along with our own beliefs. And this is what I think is the situation. And this is what I believe about God. And this is what I believe about God. Rather than coming to the word who was flesh and say, what are you trying to teach us in this instance? Verse 14, so Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you may believe. Do not miss that. That cannot be overemphasized. He says, I am glad, he says, Lazarus is dead. Now, what happened before this? He waited two whole days where he was. He says, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, 
so that you may believe. You should underline those five words in your Bible. So that you may believe. What was their problem? Unbelief. They're thinking of the problems. They're thinking of the, the obstacles. The Jews are trying to kill us there. They're, they're thinking of all these obstacles in, that are in the way rather than, again, like when Jesus was on the boat and they're saying, Lord, the boat is being swamped and we're going to die. Jesus stands up and rebukes the waves. Jesus was asleep. And he rebukes the waves. And over and over, these guys are with the God, the Lord of the universe, who created everything. And they, he's done miracle after miracle for them. And they still don't believe. Kind of sounds like us, doesn't it? He says in verse 15 again, I am glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe. Let us go to him. Therefore, Thomas, who is called Didymus, and we all know Thomas had a problem with faith, right? Thomas was like us. Um, we got to see it before we're going to believe it, right? Uh, you know, how can I believe in a God that I can't see? I have to see it. Therefore, Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, well, let us also go so that we can die with him. Again, they're with Jesus, God in the flesh, and they're just filled with doubt. They're filled with unbelief. Basically, they're saying they're, they don't believe in his abilities, right? Um, verse 17, so when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus has, had already been in the tomb four days. So, now look at the next verse. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem about two miles off. So, I think that they were in Jerusalem at this time when, when Mary sent word to them. They were only two miles away. It says he stayed two, two days in the place where he was, and then it must have been taking his time because it took two more days to get there for just two miles. Again, and, and, and they could not see that Jesus was doing this on purpose, that he was trying to show them, trying to teach them, trying to give them revelation of who he is and what he was able to do in their situation. It says, verse 19, And many of the Jews who had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother, Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. So, again, Mary was the one that wiped his, wiped his feet with her tears and put the perfume on him and things. And so, essentially, she's in the house pouting, right? She's like, I'm not going to go out to him. He didn't come when I called him. He didn't come when I asked him to. That's like us, isn't it? So many times when God doesn't do what we want him to do, we get angry, don't we? And it's like, you know, the three children in, in the book of Daniel that were thrown into the, the fire, they said, our God is able to deliver this from, to deliver us from this fire. But even if he doesn't, we are not going to bow down to the statue of Nebuchadnezzar. And this is the attitude that God wants to put in our hearts. God can deliver us, and sometimes he does. And sometimes he doesn't. 
But even if he doesn't, he is worthy of our lives. He is worthy of our adoration. And in the moment, and I've been there. I've, I think that all of us can say there's been times in our lives when we've gotten angry at God. Right? Just like Jonah, when, when Jonah was mad at God because God spared Nineveh. And he said, I knew that, when, that if I came that you would do that. Because Jonah hated the Ninevites. And so when God doesn't do what we want him to do, a lot of times we get angry. Now, sometimes because of the grace and the mercy of God and because there's something soft in our hearts, he can still woo us back to himself. But at this point, there's multitudes of people who have stopped following God. And they will never follow him again because he wasn't what they wanted him to be. God does not bow to our expectations. Now, God, again, is a loving God. He is a merciful God, and I believe He is a God who answers prayers. But if we don't get the answer that we want, He is that does not make Him any less good. It doesn't make Him any less righteous. It doesn't make Him any less worthy of our lives. He is God. He is our Creator. He is our Father. He created everything out of nothing this is his world and we are just living in it by his grace and by his mercy every one of us has deserved death a million times over has deserved punishment a million times over and he has spared us time after time after time after a time and so some so many times in our lives when one thing doesn't go right the way that we want it to go we're like well i'm not gonna follow him anymore It's a dangerous, dangerous place to be. And the thing is about maturity, maturity is when we can come to the place that says, your will be done, not my will, in every circumstance. And we know that we're beginning to walk in maturity when we can come to that place in Jesus, where no matter what happens to our lives, it is well with our soul. I'm not saying that I've mastered that. But I'm saying that that is the goal. That is maturity in Jesus. And that is the place that he's trying to get us to. That is the place where he's trying to get his disciples to. Verse 20 again. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, look at at what Martha says. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You let my brother die. Now, and and here's another thing. We think, we do not think, we do not see things as God sees things. Lazarus was a friend of Jesus. If when Lazarus died, he was going to go to heaven for all of eternity in, in a bliss, in a joy that we have no comprehension of. He was going to be in the presence of God Almighty Himself in a place where there's no tears, no sorrow, no sadness. In a place where no one's dying of cancer. In a place where where no one's being fired from their jobs. In a place where everything is joy all the time. So even if a believer in Christ dies, it's... You know, Paul says we don't mourn like those who have no faith do. 
But sometimes some of us do. And so my point is, is that some of us, we're looking with the eyes of this world as though this world were our home, as though this world had something to offer us rather than Jesus. The best thing that will ever happen to any one of us who is called a believer, who who follows the Lord with all of our hearts, is the moment when we step into eternity and we're with Him forever. And I think that many of us in the church don't believe that. I think many of us are bound to this world. And this world is not our home. We are strangers. We are aliens. We are pilgrims. We are just passing through. If you live to be 100, if you live to be 150 years old, if you live to be 200 years old, that is just a blip on the screen of time. It's nothing compared to eternity. And the highest joys and the highest ah, blessings that you could ever experience in this life won't even compare to what we receive when we go to be with the Lord. Verse 21, Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, what is she doing? I mean, it's it's an accusation, Right? Why why didn't you why didn't you do what I wanted you to do? If you had if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So there's several things there. Number 1, she's casting accusations at Jesus. And number 2, um remember the centurion whose whose servant was sick and he said, "Master, you don't even have to come to my house. You can just say the word and he'll be healed." Where were his disciples then, right? Jesus could have held Jesus didn't have to come to the house to heal Lazarus. He could have healed him where he was. They could have sent word and said, Lord, your friend Lazarus is sick, but I know if you speak the word, he will be healed. And I believe that it would have happened. All right. Verse 22. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give to you. Look what Jesus says. Now, again, think of all these things that we're saying. Look what Jesus says in verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now, there's no ambiguity. There's no no kind of, uh, you know, parabolic language or anything. He says, your brother will rise again. Now, Martha starts thinking, well, okay, he's talking about the resurrection. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again on the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? In other words, he's saying, I have the power over death. And what I say when it comes to death is what will happen. So he's trying to again show Martha that yes, okay, if if Jesus wants, he can raise him at the, on the day of resurrection or he could raise him now or he could raise him in 10 days. It doesn't matter. He has he is has the power over death. He can raise Lazarus anytime he wants to. Verse 27, she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, even he who comes into the world. So she's just throwing out a religious statement to him, right? 
When she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she, when she heard it, Mary, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Look at this in verse 30. Now Jesus had still, verse 30, Jesus had still not yet come into the village, but he was still in the place where Martha met him. Do you see that? Think of what this. Jesus is dragging his feet. Martha came out to meet him. We don't know how far away she went to meet him and stuff, but he's basically just sitting around. Mary, in the time that Mary came to him, he could have went to them, right? He is purposely not going. He is purposely taking his time to teach them something. Verse 31. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Martha got up quickly, or I'm sorry, when they saw Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 33, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. And so why was Jesus troubled? He was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knew from the very beginning before he ever left where he was at. He knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He's not weeping because somebody, his friend is dead. If you had the power of life and death and someone called you and said, Hey man, one of your best friends has died. If you knew that you had the power of life and death and if you knew that you were going to go to where your friend was and to raise him from the dead, you would not weep over him because he's dead. And that's what the church has been teaching for every time I hear a teaching on this, that's what they're talking about. Oh, look how Jesus loved him. But just because that's what the people said, the Jews always said things that Jesus didn't. You know, just because someone says this is what Jesus was thinking doesn't mean that's what Jesus was thinking, right? Some of the Jews said Jesus cast out demons by the finger of Beelzebul. Did Jesus do that? Some of the people said that, you know, Jesus was basically a bastard son. Was he? And so just because the Jews are saying that does not make it true. Why was Jesus weeping? He was weeping because of their unbelief. Read it. Read the Gospels. You'll see this over and over. Jesus is, is heartbroken because he's shown so many miracles to his disciples and they still don't believe him. They still don't believe in him. And Jesus is trying to show them, I have the power. He's telling them over and over, I have the power over death. And they're not understanding. They're not getting it because their hearts are hard. And how many times has Jesus tried to work in our lives or trying to speak something to us and we won't believe it? 
right? And I believe that this is the crying need of the church is to have faith in him. And if you're anything like me, you believe that Jesus has the power. Jesus has all power. He's able to do anything he wants to. He's able to to heal me. He's able to um, give me a job. He's able to do whatever. You know, if I, you know, if you if you know people that have physical problems, people that have you know illnesses or whatever, he's able to heal them and stuff. If you're like me, you know that he can do it. But so many times. We're like, but he won't do it for me. Right? So many times we're like, oh, I believe in Jesus. I believe God is able to do anything. But I I don't think he'll do it for me. Who am I? You know, why would he do that for me? Why would why would Jesus go out of his way for me? You know, who am I? And instead of Jesus looking on that and saying, you know, I just, I love your humility and I, I love that you, you know, you, you don't think of yourself too highly. I think sometimes his heart is broken. See, the thing is, is, you know, I, I've, I've wondered about this a lot. What, what's the big, you know, you see over and over, Abraham was saved by faith because he believed God. And over and over, Jesus says, believe in me, right? And so many times we believe who he is, but we don't believe in him for us. And again, I'm not talking about, you know, he's not going to give us anything that's contrary to his will, right? Everything that, you know, answers to prayer are always according to the will of God. He's not just going to give us a mansion because we want it. He's not going to give us a house because, you know, a, a, a Rolls Royce because we want it. And beware if you pray for something like that and you get it. Because remember the children of Israel, when God fed them manna all the time, fed them manna and took care of them, their clothes didn't wear out, their shoes didn't wear out, but they got sick of eating manna and they wanted something else. And it says the Lord rained quail on them. And while they were eating that quail, he smote them down. And so, if you're praying for all these things for the flesh, and you start receiving these things, you need to be afraid. And you need to repent and come back to him and say, Not my will be done, but your will be done. And so again, I believe Jesus was troubled in his spirit because of their unbelief and because they did not believe in him. We believe him, right? We believe that he exists, but we don't believe in him, that he loves me enough to move mountains, right? If I'm following him with all my heart and I'm serving him and I'm praying according to his will and I'm praying and... Okay, let's break it down. I'm talking about the gospel spreading through the earth, right? I'm talking about people that are praying for revival, who are seeking His will, who are not living for themselves, who are not trying to get bigger and better houses, who are not trying to get bigger and better cars, who are not trying to get bigger and better bank accounts, who are not living for all the things that this world has to offer. I'm talking about people that are living for Him. 
Will he not hear your prayers? Is he not moved by your prayers? Does he not desire to answer your prayers? And will he not answer your prayers if they are according to his will? And to know what's according to his will, all you have to do is read the Bible. It's very plain. Continuing on, he, verse 33, When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come see. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, See how he loved him. Look at this, what others are saying. But some of them were saying, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? Wow, you know, I, I was starting to believe you guys. I, I was starting starting to think about becoming a Christian, but man, this guy can't. You know, this guy can only heal blind eyes, but he can't raise people from the dead or keep people from dying, even though Jesus did that on several occasions. Right? So again, it's like, you know, I'll follow Jesus this far. And and if he keeps meeting my expectations, if he keeps meeting my needs, if he keeps doing what my gratifying my flesh, my desires, then I'll follow him. But the moment he stops doing that, it's over with. Couldn't he couldn't he grant me this house? Couldn't he grant me this Rolls Royce? Couldn't he grant me a jet like these prosperity preachers have? He granted them one, right? Verse 38. So Jesus, again, being deeply moved. When was he moved? Right after these guys were saying these dumb things. Right? Again, Jesus knows, and Jesus knew the whole time that he was going to heal Lazarus. There's, if, 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 there is no, it's it's ridiculous to think that if if you knew someone was going to die, if you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt they were going to die, but you also knew that you had the ability to raise them up from that dead, you wouldn't be crying for them. Oh, he's dead. Oh, my goodness. Oh, he's, he's gone. He's not crying because he's dead. He's crying because of their unbelief. Just like when Jesus wept over Jerusalem. If only you had understood the times. I would have gathered you like a mother hen gathers your chicks, but you were unwilling. The greatest sin that there is is not believing in Jesus. Verse 39, Jesus said, or verse 38 again, so Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave, and a stone was laying against it. And Jesus said, Remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he's been dead four days. So again, she's still not believing in him. If he can heal a man, he can take care of the stench, right? If he can raise a man, raising... Someone from the dead is the greatest miracle, right? I mean, because death is our greatest foe, right? Death is our greatest enemy. It even says that in 1 Corinthians 15. 
And Jesus, Jesus defeated death. If he can do that, what can he not do? Look at verse 40. Jesus said to her, look what he says. Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? What's he saying? Didn't I say to you? Essentially, he's saying, didn't I say to you that I'm going to raise Lazarus? Didn't I say that to you? Didn't I say to you that, that you know, I am the resurrection and the life? So they removed the stone in verse 41. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew, look at this in verse 42. I knew that you always hear me. But because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may, may believe that you sent me. Again, this whole thing is a matter of faith. This whole thing is our relationship to him. And do we believe in him? Do we trust him? Do we trust in the Lord with all of our hearts or do we lean on our own understanding? When he said these things in verse 43, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth bound hand and foot with wrappings and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. If he can raise some from, someone from the dead, what can he not do? He can do anything, right? In the story in John 11 of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead was an object lesson for them to learn faith in him. And I look at my own life sometimes and I'm like, does Jesus weep because of my unbelief sometimes? He wants us to believe in him for who he is and he is a good and loving God. His heart is for us. He is not against us. He is not this angry God that sits in the heavens waiting to throw thunderbolts at us and and things. But does he get up frustrated with us? Yes, he does. But that's this is a God who is alive and who is walking with us in our circumstances. And who is there to comfort us and who grieves with us in our sorrows. And he, the, the biggest point of the whole thing is that Jesus is with us. No matter what the outcome is, Jesus is with us. And if we have that, then we don't need anything else, right? If our loved ones die, if they're following Jesus, we'll, we'll see them again. I mean, will it be hard? Certainly, you know. But they... It's no cliche that they will be in a better place. And when he does do things for us, I mean, that's what should it, it should just cause us to rejoice, right? 
But the thing is, is whether he blesses us, whether he doesn't bless us, he has created us to walk in fellowship with him and to rejoice at all times in him and to give him the worship, the glory, and the honor that he deserves. Amen.